You're listening to the DCC Sermon Podcast. For more information about Dayton Christian Center, you can visit dcctx.church. Now let's join in for this week's message. I was praying about what to preach on. I had, I had my idea of what I wanted to preach on and, and uh, sat down yesterday just to kind of finish writing that up and God took me in another direction. And so this is not a, a, a typical sermon of mine. And, and, and I say that, I hate that phrase because I don't like being painted in a box, but most of my sermons, I, I do a lot of digging, right? Wouldn't you guys say? I, I, I dig into the Greek, uh, the, the Greek meaning of it. I look at the history. I just go into all this different stuff. And, and there's, there's two types of sermons that annoy me. Gimmicky sermons and cowboy gimmicky sermons. And that's what this is. So I apologize ahead of time. But when God, I've learned a long time ago that when God says to preach something, I don't argue. And this is what he laid and downloaded into me, and so that's what we're going to talk about today. So I don't know if you guys know a lot about, about ranching and stuff. I, I actually grew up uh, really ranching, like big time. My grandparents' place, we uh, grew up on my grandparents' place till my dad started pastoring. And uh, it's out in Wyoming, and, and it's, that ranch has been in our, our family for over 100 years. And it actually is a historical site in uh, Wyoming. Uh, my great-grandpa, when he was eight years old, uh, the the uh, famine kind of hit the area, and then they had a bad winter storm, and everybody was moving out of the area. and And he told my great great grandpa, he's eight years old. He said, "Don't move away from here. All I've wanted to be my entire life is a Wyoming cowboy. Let me be a Wyoming cowboy." And so, what was really cool was when the state came and did this huge celebration about four or five years ago, recognizing the the ranch as a historical site. My great grandpa was also the first inductee into the Wyoming Cowboy Hall of Fame as correlated with that. So not only was he, did get to be his dream, uh, but when I say large ranch, like grew up cowboying, the, the main pasture, it's 15 miles from the time that you get out of the trailer and on your horse till you hit the back of the pasture. So it's cowboying, right? And, and they, they have buffalo out there, lots of cattle. They do a lot of hunting, things like that. So I've grown up cowboying. Cowboying's been a big part of my life. Ranching's been a big part of my life. And then I moved down here, and, and, uh, and people say, why don't you own a truck? Because I don't need to pull anything while I'm down here. So that's why, I mean, so I, but uh, the branch of agriculture concerned with raising livestock is called pastoralism. Did you guys know that? See, another thing that I, that I do uh, the, over the last four years, I've, I've taught ag at the high school for a couple of years. And, uh, and the first time I saw that, that jumped out at me. Pastoralism is what you call ranching or working with livestock. And it just hit me because pastoralism is what I've been doing my entire life. I started preaching at 15 years old. I don't know if you guys kind of know my back history. I was at a high school or at a Little Bridges Rodeo in Wall, South Dakota. And my dad made a statement to me. He said, if they don't have church, have church. And he was meaning if they don't have church, go in your car and, and have church. And me, I took that as if they don't have church, have church. So I went up to the announcer stand and I said, hey, you guys having church uh, tomorrow morning for the, for the rodeo? And they said, no. And I said, all right, well, we're having church tomorrow morning. They said, who's leading it? And I said, I do not know. And I was believing God because at that time, it was during the Sturgis rally. And Sturgis was only a couple hours down the interstate from there. And so I was like waiting for like Kenneth Copeland to maybe like be driving by on his motorcycle and God say, pull in there and preach. So I was waiting till the last minute and they didn't, <laughs> he didn't. And so everybody's sitting there for church. And so I ran to my truck and I had a, a, a little book from Kenneth Hagin called Why Prayer. And my first time preaching was literally standing there reading that book. And I did that. And then my dad's like, okay, we're going to teach you how to preach. And so my dad spent a lot of time into pouring into me. 
uh, preaching. And by the time I was 16, 17 years old, I was holding church services at every rodeo I was going to. By the time I was 17, I, I was traveling all over the U.S. riding bulls. And so I was doing church services everywhere I went. By the time I was 18, I was speaking at schools. I was Speaking has always been a part of my life. So two things that have been poured into me since young was ranching and pastoring, and both of them are called pastoralism. And so that's always jumped out at me. And I drew a lot of things from what I learned the first 22 years of my life on the ranch over the next 17 years of my life working in churches. And I'm just going to kind of show those a little bit today. And, and some of this we talked about during that series that I, that I, uh, that, that I did uh, get understanding a while back. And we talked a little bit on some of this, and I'm going to touch it a little bit, but that's not what we're going to focus on, but it's part of it. So I want to look at today whose responsibility it is to lead, whose responsibility it is to eat, and whose responsibility it is to feed the young. Okay, and we're going to look at it from a ranching side, and, and, and there's a lot, how many people here raise cows, raise bulls? I know we got, we got quite a few people kind of do some type of ranching stuff, so it'll relate to everybody else. You're going to learn a little bit today. Um, just like at the ranch, everyone from the rancher to the cows has a responsibility, so I'm, we're going to look at what those are. So the first one is whose responsibility is to lead? Open your Bibles to John chapter 2, or John 21, sorry. I wrinkle my papers up. It looks like there's a lot more so that it's easier to flip. So sometimes I get a wrinkle and I can't see the words. Jesus is talking to Simon Peter here. Now, remember back in Matthew 16, uh, Jesus told Peter he's, he's the rock on which he's going to build his church. All right? And so now this is Jesus after being raised from the dead. This is after he's already died on the cross and he's sitting and he's talking to Peter. And he says here in verse 15, he says, So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter starts to feel like every mom that has a little kid that's asked the same question over and right, moms? Yes, I love you, right? You know all things, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now the Latin word for shepherd is pastor, spelled the same way, P-A-S-T-O-R. And that's where we get the title pastor from. A pastor is called to be a shepherd. First Peter 5, uh, 1 through 4. Now remember, this is the same Peter speaking who Jesus had just told, had that conversation with, who Jesus was building the church on, right? And he said, the elders who are among you, I exhort, I am I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. While Jesus is the ultimate shepherd, there are those on earth who are supposed to be shepherding his people, shepherding the herd, and that's your pastors. The ultimate job of a shepherd is to lead the sheep, right? If you notice, once a shepherd leads the sheep to a pasture and, or leads them to water, can he get them to eat? Can he force them to eat, right? It is still the sheep's job to now eat and drink. And that brings us to our second point. Just bear with me. This is, some, this is a, a quick review, and then we're going to jump into some, some, some deeper stuff. Whose responsibility is it to eat? Christ, Christians have gotten in a mode where they think they're being fed by the pastor instead of being led by the pastor. Well, it's the pastor's job to lead you in your spiritual growth. It is still your job to act on actually growing. Let me give you a visual of this. 
Shepherd leads some sheep into, into a pasture. One of the sheep isn't eating. The shepherd picks up some grass, holds it to the sheep. The sheep eats it, realizes the grass is good, but would rather eat only the grass out of the shepherd's hand rather than eat the grass that's on the ground. Right? What would happen to that sheep if he only ate what was scooped up by the pastor and fed to him? Yet that's what's happening in our churches all across the country. People are looking to only be fed what is scooped off the ground. They don't want to take the time to go and look for the food. They don't want to take the time to actually sift through the food. They just want it to be scooped up, headed to them, fast food style, quickest way they can do it, right? Your Christian walk should go well beyond Sunday mornings. On Sundays, listen to this, on Sundays, the pastor leads you to a pasture. During the week, it's your job to eat in that pasture. I don't know what to study. Your pastor led you to a pasture on Sunday morning. Start there. You should be taking notes, right? You should be looking, whatever, whatever Pastor David is leading you to, you should be taking notes, and if you don't know what to study that week, start there. Start there. Why? Because he led you there. Man, I just went through puberty again. Start there. I was like, wow. <laughs> puberty at 38 years old is a horrible thing. But he leads you to that pasture. Your job is to eat. We have a lot of starving. Oh, wait, I jumped ahead. I want to go over back over here. Hold on. On that note, not all shepherds are leading their sheep to green grass. Many shepherds out there today are leading their sheep to areas they think are green grass, but are rather desolate and bare. As a result, they have a flock of misled sheep feeding on things that are not truly of the Bible. If your pastor is not leading you to biblical pastures, it's time to find a new pastor who will. And I'm not talking about David, but there are people who watch these videos, who tune into the website, Maybe you're visiting, whatever it is. Those that know me know I am, not a, I, I am not here to promote Dayton Christian Center. I'm here to promote the kingdom of heaven. I'm always, that's always, no matter what church, when I worked at Lone Star, my job was not to promote Lone Star. My job was to promote the kingdom of heaven. When I do stuff for my dad, my job is not to promote my dad's churches. My job is to promote the kingdom of heaven, right? So everybody in the kingdom of heaven Let's say you move and you're no longer here and you're going to a church. If they're not leading you to biblical pastures, you need to look somewhere else. If you're not constantly growing spiritually, then you need to ask yourself two questions. First, is my pastor leading me to green pastures? And second, if so, then am I feeding on those pastures personally to grow? If it's no to either of those, then you need to change your habits because you're never gonna grow. Almost everyone can quote Psalms 23, right? At least the first part. Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, right? Do you know the only time sheep will lie down in green pastures is when they're full? The only time. If they have grass around them, it's like kids with candy. They are not going to lay down until they are full. God doesn't want to just lead you to green pastures. He wants to be full in them. That's a side note. That's free. You don't got to pay for that part. Now, notice I said full I didn't say fat. There's a difference. We have a lot of starving Christians in our world today, but we also have a lot of overweight Christians. 
If a sheep eats and eats and eats, but just sits there without exercising, they become fat and lazy. James 1.22 says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. A couple weeks ago, we talked about the foundation on the rock. And Jesus didn't just say, whoever hears these teachings of mine is like a builder who built on a rock. He said, whoever hears them and does them. There are many Christians today who think that by merely hearing sermons and reading their Bibles that they're doing enough. They are rather becoming fat because they're not exercising what they're learning. It's one thing to hear God's word. It's a totally other thing to act on it and exercise it. There are people who are overloading the other side of the spectrum as well. They're trying to exercise being a Christian, but are not feeding themselves with the word of God. Then they become weak and vulnerable because while they may be exercising their faith, they're not filling themselves back up with the needed nutrients to keep going. What you feed yourself is just as important as keeping yourself fed. If you're trying to lose weight and you're going to the gym every day, but your diet is donuts and cookies, they completely contradict themselves, don't they? You feel like you're putting in all the work, yet you aren't losing any weight. The same thing happens to Christians. They work hard at doing the right thing, but if they are feeding their spirit man junk food, they will get frustrated because they won't see progress. There must be a strong balance between feeding yourself God's word and exercising on what you're learning. Also, the older someone gets, the more exercise they have to, it takes. Right? right? The little exercise that worked for them in the past is not working as easily now, is it? Same as with your Christian walk. As you grow spiritually, we must exercise our faith more often. There comes a time when you must grow up not only in what you're taking in, but also in what you are giving out. Too many Christians are wanting to hang on to the baby stage while God is expecting them to grow up, not just spiritually, but to grow up in their responsibilities. And people are afraid of that. People are scared of that, and they don't want to grow up. We need to find that balance of feeding ourselves with God's word and exercising on those very principles. As, as you grow spiritually, you need to then be increasing both sides of the, of the scale. If you will not, eventually you become spiritually fat, lazy, weak, or vulnerable. So what about the young sheep? This is what I want to talk about. So we're just kind of glancing through those, skipping over those. What about the young sheep who are too young to eat on their own? Whose job is it to feed the young? The easy cop-out answer is still pastors, but that's not correct. That responsibility falls directly on their parents. Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 8 says, And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. It doesn't say teach them to your congregation's children. If it said that, then that would be the pastor's responsibility. But it doesn't say that. It says your children. Whose responsibility is it to feed the young? The parents. It's not your pastor. It's not your children's pastor. It's not your youth pastor. It's not your school district. It's not your teachers. It's your responsibility. It's not YouTube. It's not Facebook. It's not Nickelodeon, right? Which children are the, are the pastors responsible for? Their own. See, this is why you see a lot of issues in ministry and ministers' children. Preachers' kids usually turn out really good or really bad. And it's because one of the easiest lies Satan gets those in ministry to believe is that working for the church is the same as working for the Lord. That's not true. Your priority should always be God first, family second, everything else after that. 
including your job. And working for a church is your job. Yet Satan will get ministers to cloud those two together so they'll end up focusing on other people's children more than their own children. Putting God first is your personal relationship with him. The works that come with serving him should come after your family. If God calls you to ministry one day, that's something you're going to have to make a conceited effort in your mind to clarify. Because that is exactly where Satan attacks the first. He tries to get you so busy doing other things. When our youth group over at, at Lone Star started blowing up, I tried to be at every kid's, everything that every kid had, I wanted to be at it, right? Everything every kid had, I, I wanted to be at that. And so when we were small, when we were 15, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 100 kids, I could do that. But when we started getting up 400, 500 plus kids, I couldn't do that. But yet I felt like I had to. I felt like it was my obligation. And then there was a youth pastor by the name of Doug Fields, who youth pastors, youth groups in the 3,500 to 6,500 kids range. And he wrote a book. The book is called The Power of No, Focus on Your Own Damn Family. <laughs> Sorry for the most powerful book I've ever written, read in my life. It changed everything for me because I realized I could say no. As a minister, I didn't know I could say no. I thought I wasn't doing my job if I said no. Now I have to work on like making myself say yes because I, I got addicted to no and it's, it's nice. Uh, no, I, I can't do that. I lost my spot, hold on. If I can't train my kids right in the ways of the Lord, then I need to take, up a ma take a major second look at training other people in that as well. It says here, go back to verse six, and these words I command you today will be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk with them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. The responsibility of teaching and training children up in the biblical ways falls directly on the parents. Children are, destined, are designed to learn from their parents. They're designed that way. They adapt to what their parents say and do. If they hear their parents say something, they'll automatically say those things over anybody else. If they see their parents do something, they will automatically do that over anything else someone else tells them. All those that are teachers in here say amen to that. Because it don't matter. It, it don't matter how much you pour into kids, they're still going to act like their parents. There's been a lot of parents that I meet the parents and I'm like, oh, your kid makes sense now. <laughs> that makes total sense. God designed them to learn from their parents. When my son was seven years old, he started picking up his Bible and reading it daily. I never told him he needed to start reading his Bible. I never shoved it in front of him, force fed it to him. He merely watched his mother and I grabbing our Bibles on a daily basis to read. So he asked his granddad for a Bible for his birthday and immediately started reading it daily on his own. Same with my daughter. He was following what he was shown by his parents. If you as a parent are wondering why your kids act the way they do, then maybe you need to look at the way you are acting and how you're raising those children. I had a dad come into counseling one time at Lone Star and he brought this kid in and immediately comes in and just starts reaming this kid to me. You need to fix my kid. He's stealing my beer. 
I caught him smoking. He's blankety blank cussing all the blankety blank time. He couldn't even get through 15 minutes without having to go outside and smoke a cigarette. So when he's outside smoking a cigarette, I asked the kid, I said, let me ask you some questions about your dad. Did your dad drink? He said, yeah, my dad's an alcoholic. He, he almost always drinks. Okay. Does he smoke like, he's like, he smokes a pack a day. Okay. Does he usually talk like that? He says, oh, he's being nice because he's in a church. So the dad came back in and I told the kid, I said, hey, we got a fishing pond up over the hill. Here's some fishing gear in my office. Why don't you go over, fish a little bit. I'm going to talk to your dad for a little bit. Then I waited until I could see him kind of get a little distance. And then I started reaming that dad. How dare you bring your son in here and ask me to change him? How dare you ream him in public in front of somebody when all he wants to be is like his dad? How dare you cuss him out for being you? It changed that dad's life. He stopped drinking, started coming to church, right? Because sometimes you don't realize how much your kids actually mimic you. As I'm getting older, I realize how much I mimic my dad. I can't tell you how many times I say something like, oh, my God, that's my dad. Anybody else like that, or am I the only one? Like, all the time, like, that is a Dave Morrison comment right there, which can be good, and it can get you in a lot of trouble, because I'm not as big as he is, so I can't fight my way out of some of the things he says. (laughs) You need to take a look at the discipline you're giving your children. When they are young, they're moldable. So while bad habits may be cute now, you are training them that those actions are praiseworthy. Oh, that's so funny, the way our son just mouthed off of that adult. He's just a little spitfire, that one. Right? Hey, honey, go get the camera. We gotta put this on TikTok. That's gonna get us a lot of likes. It's hilarious. Then you can't figure out why when they're teenagers, why they're so mouthy. It's because you trained them that it was acceptable when they were at their most trainable age. And kids will fall back on what you think is acceptable. Because when they were trained at a young age, they were told this is acceptable because they're laughing. This is acceptable because they're telling people how cute it is. This is acceptable. And then they become teenagers and they're confused because they're falling back on what you trained them was acceptable. And then now you're telling them you don't want them doing it anymore because it's no longer cute got quiet all of a sudden. I think, I, I think it was David I actually heard say this once. If you're too afraid to discipline your children and get the rebellion out of them when they're young, how do you expect to accomplish it when they get keys in their hands? We need to step up and do our duties as parents and lead our children. We need to teach them what is right and what is wrong. Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in a way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. I'm gonna go back to comparedness to ranching. One thing I've done a lot of over the years is train horses. My dad has always had horses around the ranch that he was, he was breaking or training either for himself or other people. And my, when my brother and I were younger, we took on a lot of horses. So my, my brother and I started training, training those horses. And we did a lot with that. And, and I read that verse. The first time I read that, I was probably like 12 years old. I read that and it, it clicked with me. Train your children in the way they should go. And, and, all, and in my mind, I've been training horses. So I immediately equated that to that. Here's something about horses that you may not know. Was that me that made that noise? I don't know what that was. Here's something I learned about training horses and, and something you may not know. Horses are, are left and right-handed. Animals, all animals are left and right-handed. Did you guys know that? So when you're on a horse, a horse will naturally want to go one direction, right? They'll want to spin the direction that they enjoy. 
most horses, it's right-handed, just like most humans. So when horses are doing something, they want to spin to the right. How you train a horse, one of the, and, and Kobe can back this up on me because he trains horses. One of the things that you do when you're trying to train a horse is whenever they try to do something, you spin them, right? Because they don't like to spin. They don't mind spinning to their right hand. They don't like spinning to their opposite side, which is typically the left side. You can tell pretty quick because as soon as, you, as soon as you turn them over, they're either going to spin or they're going to fight you with everything they got. So whenever a horse is bowing up on you, whenever a horse is acting up, even if it's a, a trained horse that's been a while, you spin that horse and it just kind of resets and reminds that horse, hey, who's in charge, okay? And you're training them, and it's so easy with a horse to just go, you know what, it's so much easier to just let them spin to the right. It's, so, it's, it's, it's just so frustrating to try to get, they want to go that way anyways, let me just kind of let them go that way. And you're not well, getting a well-rounded horse is anybody following what I'm saying here? So here's the thing with horses. Breaking them from the ground up is not easy. There's a lot of people that train horses and they get them after the ground up. The ground up's the hardest part. That's the hardest part. When you first get a horse and you're trying to get them to even let you touch them, that's the hardest part. Working horses from the ground up's not easy. Granted, some horses are easier than others, but there's a lot that goes into training a horse. Just like with good kids... People will always see the end result. They don't see the hours of training that got that horse to where it is. When you have a good horse, you'll always have, hear people say this, man, I wish my horse was like that. I'm just not that lucky. Mine didn't turn out as good as yours. Parents will say the same thing. Man, I wish my kid was that good. Man, I wish my kid would listen. Man, I wish my... Let me tell you something about horses and children. It's probably not going to be a popular thing. They all start off in the same place. It's easy to look at the finished product and make excuses. But you didn't see the amount of time put into that horse or that kid before that moment. But my kid is way more bullheaded than your kid. My dad trains Hancock mares. He's been training Hancock mares most of his life. He, he trained his first Hancock mare when he was 13. Anybody here ever ridden a Hancock mare? I know Kobe has one that dad trained. Is, is, is she a Hancock, Kobe? Yeah. You have not met bullheaded until you have met a Hancock mare. And you've not met a horse that bucks until you've met a Hancock. My dad was breaking, 70 years old, he was breaking a horse and he's in the arena, he's in the round pin and this horse breaks in two and bucks with him. This horse bucks so hard that my dad had a cell phone in his pocket with the pearl snap snapped down in the pocket, and then he couldn't find his phone, and they had to start calling it, and they found it 15 feet outside of the arena. Undid the pocket, threw it out 15 feet out of the arena. He didn't buck off at 70 years old. Jim Meeks, Jim's like 80-something, and he's still riding horses with, with number brands on them, that bucking horses that just didn't buck hard enough for him. That guy's my hero, man. Like, And they, like, you think, you think, you want to talk about living out in the middle of nowhere and ranching a large spread. The Meeks place, and that's, that's where we spent a lot of our time doing a lot of work on. To get to their house, you go down a gravel road for about 12 miles, and then you turn off the gravel road, and now you're just driving across the pasture. There's not even a, uh, it's just cut tires into the pasture, and you drive for another six, seven, eight, maybe nine miles, and you finally pop over a hill, and there's their place. They have so much land that we were out hunting prairie dogs one time, and Luke, their son, was, he was my best friend growing up. We were out hunting these prairie dogs, and I look over, and I'm like, 
hey, who owns that pasture over there? Like, we've been working cows on this pasture for since I was little, and I've never seen anything on that pasture. Who owns that pasture? And he's like, I don't know. So he went down to the county and was just curious who owned that pasture. Turned out they did. It was about 3,000 acres. They had so much land they didn't even know. And, and his dad was like, oh, yeah, I got tired of, uh, of that. Now, I went and fenced that off like 20 years ago. I mean, like, they got a big place, but I don't know where I was going with that. Jim, oh Jim, that dude is a cowboy, and he's he's a he's a he's the uh, an Indian too. He's a, he's a uh, one of the tribal councilmen for the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation, so he's he's the best of both worlds, and he's he, yeah he's he's a stud. I don't know why I'm talking about him, but he's awesome. His wife was actually she represented all Native Americans um, in the uh, Clinton administration, and she was the the one of the main reps in Washington D.C. to represent Native Americans around the U.S. And so they're they're uh, but they've been a part of Dad's church since day one. I mean, they're, they're an awesome couple and they are cowboy to the core. Um, where was I? One of the greatest compliments I get, I can ever get is compliments on my kids. Like it makes Ivy and I proud as parents when people tell us how great our kids are. And I'm not saying that to brag on an awesome job that we did. I'm saying that to brag on, I've got great kids. I really do. That also doesn't just happen. Okay. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna camp on that. I decided early on to train my kids the same way that I would my favorite horse. Like if I had a horse, because I remember young, I had a horse that that like this, this was gonna be my horse, and I put more time into that horse than I did anything. Like you gotta understand, I broke a lot of colts. I started doing groundwork when I was ten years old. So dad would do, dad would get, get them started. Then I would do the ground. I put the miles on my tail when I was 13. Dad let me break my first colt from the ground up. And he sat there and he coached me through it, walked me through it, everything. Dried the tears when I bucked off 20, 30 times. Laughed hysterically when we were out in the pasture moving stuff to the, to the, uh, um, to the winter pasture. And I got bucked off like six times in the same day off that horse. But I've spent a lot of time training horses. And I decided I'm going to raise my kids the same way I would a horse. And I know that's crazy, but you'd be amazed at the similarities that happen, okay? I'm not saying I know everything about training horses because I don't, not even close. And I'm not saying I know everything about raising kids correctly because it's not even close. But I can share with you some things I learned. The first thing with training horses is you have to earn their trust. That horse has to know that it can trust you that everything you are doing is for its good, not your good. Okay? Once a horse buys into you as the trainer and buys into the fact that you are there to help them, even if it doesn't seem like it at the time, it's a whole lot easier to get them through the harder training moments. Before you ever do anything with a horse, you sit in a round pen with whips, and you're not whipping them, you're using them for barriers and getting them to run, and you're getting them to know I'm in charge I want you to run this way for a while. Okay, now I want you to run this way for a while. And then you're going to hold them out and you're going to try to get close to them. And they're going to run and they're going to jump out and then you run them again until you get them to trust you that you're not trying to hurt them, you're trying to help them. Your kids have to know that you love them and have to know that you care. If you're too much of a man to tell your kids that you love them, then you're putting your own personal image as a higher importance than your kid's development. Kids spell love, T-I-M-E. You can buy a horse all the fanciest of everything. 
He can have the fanciest saddle, the fanciest boots, the nicest saddle blanket. But if you don't spend time with that horse, then all you're going to have is a spoiled, rotten horse that looks good but acts rotten. Another thing I learned with training horses is that if I cut corners on a horse, it may not show at the time, but it's going to have a huge impact later in the process. And usually when I cut corners, it's a whole lot harder to get it out of that horse later than it is early. You can't wait for a bad habit to form and train it out of a horse in that moment. Same with your kids. By the time you catch that bad habit, it's a whole lot harder to train that bad habit out of them than it is to have already addressed it and trained it out of them before it ever began to show up. You can't be afraid to sit down and have a conversation with your kids about what could be a potential problem. My daughter wanted to be a cheerleader. I was like, dear God, no. But my daughter is one of those, it's, it's so cool getting to work at the schools that my kids go to. And my daughter's hands down one of the most popular kids at that school. And she hates it because she doesn't like being popular. And so I sat her down and I said, listen, you're, let's turn this the other way. You have a golden opportunity. Think of the reach that you have in this school to minister to kids because they will look up to you. And now you're wanting to be a cheerleader. Not only is she a cheerleader, she's the cheer captain. In a place that is notorious for drama, notorious for talking bad about people. So I sat her down and I said, listen, if you're going to do this, we're going to have this conversation. And I don't care if you say, I'm not going to turn into that. Here's what you look for where you could start turning into that. You see what I'm saying? There's nothing wrong with having that conversation. I fully trust that my daughter is going to be smart enough to not do that. But I also want her to know the traps to look for. Does that make sense? And instead of making it a cheerleaders are bad and they're horrible people and you're just, they're, you're just going to be and, and just kicking it in the dirt, this is a great opportunity that you have. Great opportunity that you have to reach people. And I'm proud of my daughter. I'm just going to say it right now. I, I'm, at the, I'm at the schools. I'm proud of her. I mean, she loves on everybody. She might do it because I'm standing there. I don't know. But she's still my baby girl, and she's not too cool for her dad yet. If I'm there, she wants me to have lunch with her and her friends. I'm like, that's cool. Like, because I, I don't know how. <laughs> like, I'm waiting for that moment where she's, like, too cool for me, but it's not yet. She does, she's at a basketball game right now. The Tarkenton boys are or were, were in the playoffs, they got beat. Um, they're, they're playing in Woodville against Dieball, and she was just texting me like shot-by-shot shot updates. My phone during worship was just blowing up the whole time, you know. But I just, I love that about her. The biggest thing you have to do if you want to train a colt from the ground up, you can't be afraid of getting bucked off. Getting bucked off is painful, believe me. Getting bucked off in a pasture and having to walk three to five miles back to the ranch is no fun. My dad gets a kick in enjoyment out of us getting bucked off. When Ivy and I were, were, I think we were just married, maybe we were engaged, I don't know, but we went, I was living in New Mexico at the time, and I think we were married at this time. We, we flew back up to help dad work some cows and do some stuff, and, and uh, he puts, he said, he said, I got this new colt, and uh, I keep going back to Kobe, because Kobe's gone up and worked at dad's place, and, and it's, it ended up being Tim, which is one of dad's best horses he's ever had. He said, I got this colt, and I want you to ride him. I'm like, okay. Well, one thing about colts is, is you work them in a round pen, 
And then you dummy them up, which means you tie them to someone else, a good stronger horse, and then you go out in the pasture and you let that horse get skittish and don't know what to do because they've, they've only been in this small area and, you, and you, you introduce them gradually to bigger areas. I get on this horse, right? And I'm in the round pin, I'm riding my, he's just perfect stride, just responds great. We open the pasture, the, the gate, not even to get to the pasture yet, just to get, it's about, I don't know, 40 acre heifer lot. And she, or this guy just starts skittish. He's wanting to run. He's stepping sideways. I'm spinning him. I take one step, got to spin him again. Take one step, got to spin him again. And we get to the, to the gate that opens to the pasture. And you've got to understand, these pastures are huge. And you open the gate, and it's just as wild as you can see nothing. And my horse <laughs> takes off. And I'm spinning him around. I got him spun and stopped. And I asked my dad, I said, how, how many times has this horse been out of the round pen? And he said, oh, he's never been out of the round pen. And so we put Ivy, who hasn't had a lot of riding experience, on our girlfriend horse. Thunderfoot was our girlfriend horse. And he was lazy as all get out, but he'd been out on green pasture for a while. While a rabbit run under her horse, and her horse took off running. Which spooked my horse, and my horse took off running. And now he wasn't going to stop. And so we're going up and down these hills, up and down these hills. And I'm trying to turn him, and I literally have his nose in my hip right here. And we're starting to go down the hill, and I'm like, just let him go. We'd run down the hill, and if you've ever been on Colts, when they run down the hill, they buck up the hill and run down the hill and buck up the hill and run down the hill. And I didn't buck off because I didn't want, the only reason I didn't buck off because I knew my dad was going to laugh at me the whole time. And I couldn't do it in front of my new wife, right? But bucking off hurts. While bucking off may be painful, if you want to train a horse right and not have a spoiled horse, you just have to grit your teeth and do it. Disciplining your kids can be painful. I don't know anyone who truly wants to discipline their kids. Hear me out. It's crucial to discipline your kids. Everyone loves to quote that scripture. Spare the rod, spoil the child. Everybody heard that one? Who can tell me where that is in the Bible? Spare the rod, spoil the child. Who can tell me where that is in the Bible? The scripture everybody quotes. It's not in the Bible. Do you know that? Everybody quotes the scripture. Oh, yeah, the Bible says spare the, spare the rod, spoil the child. It's not in the Bible. It's from a 1660 poem. Right? I'm, I'm just pointing out. Everybody's all, you know that scripture? I'm like, no, I don't know that scripture. But I don't, I don't want to ruin their time. That doesn't mean that that's not what the Bible says. Let me take you to the scripture everybody mistakes for that. Proverbs 13, 24. Because it's a lot more... It's a, it's a lot less politically correct than spare the rod, spoil the child. He who spares the rod hates his son. Hates his son. But he who loves him disciplines him promptly. And there's so much more in the Bible about this subject. I can't believe people just go to that one. Maybe because, it's, maybe because the more you get into them, the more politically incorrect they get. Proverbs 19, 18, chasten your, or chasten your son while there is hope. And don't set your heart on his destruction. Proverbs twenty two fifteen. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. Everybody said amen to that. The rod of correction will drive it far from him. Proverbs twenty three thirteen. Do not withhold correction from a child, for if you beat him with the rod, he will not die. Right? He ain't gonna die. 
Proverbs 29, 15, the rod and rebuke give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. There's a, I could go all day with these. I'm gonna give you one more. Proverbs 23, 14 literally says, beat the hell out of your child. You shall beat him with a rod and deliver his soul from hell. <laughs> telling you to beat the hell out of your child. I'm, I'm just quoting scripture there. Now, are you saying that's a green light to beat your children? No. Then you're missing everything and you know nothing about me. There's no place for beating your children. If you want to see a side of me that you didn't know exists, let me walk around the corner and see you hit a kid in the face. Or even worse, hit your wife or girlfriend. There'll be some laying on hands. I'll put the pastor label aside. There'll be some praying for mercy. Oh, but turn the other cheek. Don't worry, I'll turn the other cheek and whip that side too. And it's happened. My wife's had to pull me off of a guy one time. I walked out of a place and watched him ear hole, or watched him waylay his girlfriend, and he got a fist right in the ear hole. And about, I don't know, I'm going to get myself in trouble. I can't <laughs> Just say he, was, he had to drink through a straw for a little while after that, and I don't think he hit his girlfriend again. I'm not saying it's a green light to hit your children. There's no place for that. It's a green light to correct your children when they need correcting. It's a green light to mold and direct them in the ways of things they shouldn't do. Here's the thing. You have to know when to be harsh with a cult and when to be soft. Sometimes a cult does th wrong things simply because they didn't know they were wrong. There may still be something good that can come out of that situation. But if you come down hard on that horse with fire and brimstone, that horse will always shy away from that situation in the future. And you are actually hindering the horse more than helping it. All right, one last thing and then we're wrapping up that I've learned in training colts that can be applied to raising children is the best trainers don't try to replicate and duplicate the same horse over and over again. The best horse trainers know how to identify that horse's specific personalities and then train them around those personalities. They know how to lead and mold that horse in what personality traits are good and what ones we probably need to do away with. All horses start at the same place. There's proven techniques that you do all the time with horses. Proven techniques, you always start at the ground with this. But as you develop and you start to learn that horse's personalities, you adapt how you train to that horse. Some horses, you only got to tie their foot up one time, and they know not to sit back and put pressure on that foot. They know to stand up straight, put the weight on all their legs. You're training them. You're, tr you're trying to train them from hurting themselves in the future. All they know is their foot's tied up and they got a saddle on and they're wanting to buck and they're wanting to go around and they're wanting to thrash. Some horses you got to put that foot up once. Some horses you got to put it up three months. Not a, all at once. Some horses you just got to knock to the ground and put a sack over their eyes just to get a saddle on them. <laughs> I know some kids that are like that. But that doesn't mean they're a bad horse. Bullheaded horses can turn into really good horses. Do you know why? Because when you train them to be bullheaded the right way, just because your kid's bullheaded doesn't mean they're a bad kid. They actually might end up being a strong kid in the future if you train them right. Right? I was going to talk about kids, but we got time. We don't got time. 
So just going to quick just run over that. The kids that, sheep that you have to bottle feed. There's three types of, I don't know much about sheep. I know a lot about cows. And there's three times that you, that you have to bottle feed a calf. Uh, one time is when the mom kicks the calf off. Um, they're kicking the calf off. They're not letting the calf eat. Another time is when that cow, uh, that heifer, usually doesn't make the right nutrients for that cow or for that calf. And then the third time is when, when the cow dies. Just real quick, these are very similar to what you see in ministry. A lot of the ministry that, or a lot of the counseling that I've done, especially in youth ministry, was relationships between parents and their kids. And one thing you have to do as a rancher is you don't go and immediately start bottle feeding that calf, unless the mom's died, of course. But you don't go and immediately start bottle feeding that calf. You try to reintroduce that teat to that calf. or to that, to, You want that calf to eat from that, that, that heifer. And, and it hurts. And so what happens is, is when that calf bites down, it hurts and the, and the heifer kicks, her, kicks the calf away. Then they bite again and it hurts and the heifer kicks the calf away. And then eventually either the heifer won't let them eat or the calf will give up on trying to eat. And so you have to introduce it to them and stand there and make sure that that heifer's not going to kick them, reintroduce that. And what's going to happen is that heifer will all of a sudden realize, hey, I can feed this calf. It's not that bad. And that calf can realize, hey, I can get nutrients from this mom. And in reality, with parents and kids, a lot of times what happens is the parents don't know they can raise their kids. And the kids don't know they can learn from their parents. So sometimes you have to step in and make that connection. And sometimes you have to step in because it continues and they don't make that connection. And maybe it's as a grandparent. And now you're raising the kids because their parents don't want them. Or maybe it's because uh, something has happened and you're taken from them. As a rancher, you never stop trying to establish the link between the mother and the calf, regardless if the mother wants the calf or not. If you are in that situation, you may be feeding that child the nutrients they need. Stop bad-mouthing their parents. If you're in a divorced family, stop bad-mouthing your former spouse, their other parent. Stop it. You are not doing anything good for that child. You're putting that child in a very hard situation of having to choose which parent they like more. Regardless if they have a deadbeat dad. Regardless if they have a mom that doesn't care. You still build them up. That's their kid. I'm not going to get into all that because we don't got time. But I did want to make those points. So, like I said, very gimmicky sermon. Not my cup of tea, typically. But God was hitting me hard with, this is what you need to preach on. So, there's maybe one person needs to hear it. Awesome. Everybody else, hey. But I'm, I've learned a long time ago not to not hear from, or not to, to not, I don't know. I don't even know where I was going with that. Dear God, I thank you, Lord, that we come here tonight. I pray, Father, that there is some people struggling with, with raising their children, Lord. I pray that you can help them make that connection. 
help them see that they are valuable as a parent. And it may be hard. They may be thinking they're going to make mistakes. They may be thinking things are going to go wrong. But they can learn through that and not give up and not just throw that kid to the side and just say, I'm done with it. But rather, you can give them the patience, give them the, the, the fortitude and the strength to move on and raise that kid correctly in the Word of God. Raise them correctly in what is right for them. Raise them correctly in, in, in the way that they should go, Father. I praise you. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the DCC Sermon Podcast. If you enjoyed this message and would like to hear more, you can subscribe to our podcast and YouTube channel. If you would like to give towards our ministry, there are giving options available at dcctx.church. Thanks again for listening to the DCC Sermon Podcast.